it wasn't her mother, but rather her father on the phone, she felt a welcome surge of love and affection. That's my dad, she said fondly, wanting to play the guy in the middle. He's always doing that, you know. Whenever Mom and I get into a fight, there he is, Mr. Mediator. It wasn't even a big fight, she went on. He just wants everything perfect, since it isn't with him and Mom. Freaks him out to think that she and I... Take the fucking phone, said Natalie. Megan took the phone and cradled it to her ear. Hi, Dad. Sweetheart, he began. It wasn't a major fight, she told him. Did she tell you? A bunch of people are going to Mexico. I'll pay for the ticket. I'll pay for everything. I didn't mean to lay it all on Mom. She heard her father clear his throat, but felt a rush of apology coming. Not just for things said earlier that day, but for all the wrongs she had committed over the course of her 19 years. I was rude, she said. I shouldn't have yelled at her. Jesus, it's Christmas. What was I thinking? I hate it when I yell. Megan, her father said. Megan stopped. There was something black and buggy in his voice that made her heart skip. And it took her less than a second to realize why. It was the voice he'd used ten years ago when he'd called her at summer camp with the news about Ben. Megan, he began. Frank Thompson couldn't tell if it was the reflection of pool water bouncing off the windows or the shriek of his daughter over the phone or the flapping sound of the sheet as the paramedics covered his wife that made his legs begin to wobble and shake. All he knew was that the ground beneath him was falling out from under and he had to get down fast, or he was going to be sick. He squatted, set the phone on the slate floor that Diana had chosen when she put in the pool, and covered his face with his hands. He listened to the pool pump as it sucked and squirted from somewhere underground, and breathed in the moist, chlorinated air that filled the solarium. A few feet away, a young woman in a police uniform was conferring with the paramedics. Next to him lay Diana's peach-colored bathrobe, along with a pair of purple flip-flops with the darkened imprints of her heels. A shiver passed through him, and he turned his gaze to the water in the pool, which continued to dance as though some ghost were out there sculling in the middle. It was a small, elevated pool, framed in by blonde birch panels, not much bigger than two hot tubs end-to-end, really, with a motorized current that allowed Diana to swim non-stop without having to turn. Although he hadn't wanted to put the pool in, He'd later conceded to one of his colleagues that it was a worthy investment since it gave his high-strung wife a chance to come home and mellow out. After 20 years of marriage, he knew that a mellow Diana was a cohabitable Diana. Frank lifted his head, and a sparkle of light caught his eye from underneath the ficus tree across the room. Broken glass, needly shards and Frank cringed as he recalled how earlier that afternoon he'd thrown the glass across the room to get his wife's attention. It was wrong of him, he knew that. But after coming across the pictures online, pictures that no father should have to imagine, let alone see, well, everyone has a breaking point. And it was the way Diana was so oblivious to the problem at hand, the way she assumed he was upset because she'd skipped out on lunch earlier that day. He felt his shoulders clench, and the glass just flew. Three clicks. 
It would seem that a man in Frank Thompson's position, with over 20 years' experience as a prosecuting attorney, would know better than to start tampering with things in a room with a dead person. A man in his position would get out of that room and call his own attorney. But Frank didn't have his wits about him at the moment, certainly not his professional wits. And all he could think was, that broken glass would convey the wrong impression about his marriage. Though, Lord, it felt good to shatter a glass like that. The gratification was unmatched, like saying shit or fuck in front of small children. Rising stiffly, he walked over to a little poolside closet to get a broom and dustpan. Nobody seemed to notice him. The patrol officer was on her cell phone, and the paramedics were conferring with each other. As if making up for all the times during their marriage that he hadn't cleaned up after himself, he knelt down and swept up the ficus leaves and shards of glass and emptied them into a wastebasket. He didn't want people to have the wrong impression. Outside, a blast of grainy snow pelted the sliding glass doors. Now the cop and the paramedics were kneeling beside Diana's body. That's not good, the cop said, glancing up. She was new on the force, blonde and blue-eyed like someone straight off a farm in Minnesota. But she already had that bossy, black-and-white air that you find in cops and older siblings. Did you know about this? Know about what? asked Frank. Come see, said the cop. If you get down, you can see better. Reluctantly, Frank squatted. He hadn't looked at Diana since the paramedics had arrived. They held the sheet away from her head, and Frank, who'd harbored the lay belief that maybe it was all a mistake, now forced himself to look. For all the times he'd seen a dead body, and there were plenty, his having been with the district attorney's office for 24 years, nothing could compare to this. His wife's dark corkscrew curls fanned away from her face, Medusa-like. Her skin was white and waxy, her lips the color of plums. Her eyes stared up flat and fishy. He looked away. What concerns us is this the cop said, and she nodded to the younger of the two paramedics, a man with a long, straggly ponytail. Gently taking Diana's head in both hands, he turned it slightly and splayed the hair above her ear. Right there, said the cop. You see? What he saw made him choke. The bruise was huge and ripe and living, a fat, blue-gray slug in her tangled hair. Any idea how this happened? The cop asked Frank. Numbly, Frank shook his head. Well, it's some bruise, the cop said. Hard to imagine what could have made a bruise like that. And look at those knuckles. Frank heard himself suggest that she'd perhaps fallen. Maybe it's that simple, said the cop. But I'm calling the coroner. Frank stared at the cop, and for the first time, he recalled that on two separate occasions, he'd had her on the witness stand. Both times, she'd not flinched when the defense attorney had implied she was a forgetful, inattentive liar. Crime scene from now on, she added. Frank, you need to have a seat. You mean you think this wasn't an accident? Frank, she said, your wife is a national figure. There are a lot of people out there who don't like what she does. Could she have been swimming too fast? The older paramedic asked. Maybe she swam into the edge of the pool. This is 2405, the cop was saying into her radio. Where's Mark? I need backup now. Frank just stared at the three of them. Or 
Maybe she tripped and hit her head and fell into the pool, suggested the paramedic. Frank couldn't answer. It wasn't sinking in. He looked at his wife's face. The night before, she'd been complaining about the frown lines between her eyebrows. Now, her forehead was perfectly smooth and unlined. The night before, she'd informed him that for the past five years, she'd been coloring her hair without his knowing. Now, for the first time, he noticed that, yes, indeed, it was a shade darker. He wanted to tell her how beautiful she was, how young she looked. But the words kept catching on little fish hooks in his throat. What had he said earlier that afternoon? Something about photo ops and Ben? The great Dr. Dupree, he'd said. Now he cringed, recalling his words. And he bent down and rested his cheek against hers, wanting to take back everything he'd said that afternoon. He might as well have tried to take back his wedding vows. I'm sorry, he whispered into her ear. I'm so, so sorry. His name was Huck, not because of any affinity his parents had for Mark Twain, but for the color of his eyes, which reminded his grandmother of the huckleberries that flourished throughout Michigan's Upper Peninsula, where she'd grown up. Blue as a huckleberry pie, she'd said when she first saw the child. Blue as Lake Superior in October. And so Huck it was, even though his parents christened him Arthur Harold. Only two people in the department knew his real name, Deb in payroll and his partner Ernie. Ernie was a happily married man who spent his weekends coaching Little League and watching his daughter play soccer, and he liked to tease Huck about his name. So, where are your glasses, Arthur, he would say. Where's your bow tie, Arthur? But Ernie never let it go beyond their private company. At the department with the rest of the guys, it was Huck.